Let's pray. Father, we just come to you and we thank you for your word and uh, just pray that we'd all be filled with your spirit and that, Lord, that you would teach us uh, what you'd have for us to learn tonight. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in John 16, but I always, always got to go, like uh, we say, one step back and two steps forward kind of a thing, right? So uh, I'm actually going to go all the way back to chapter 13, and then we'll go 14, 15, and 16 tonight, so we should be done by... Midnight? Yeah, midnight, something like that. <laughs> no. Actually, no, what I wanted to do is kind of uh, kind of back off a little bit, because uh, three weeks ago you did 13, and then you did 14, and last week you did 15. And so it took, uh, there's been a week in between each one of those chapters. But what's actually happening in the book of John is that chapter 13, if you remember, it's uh, talking about the upper room, okay? Uh, uh, there, I mean, the Last Supper, right? So they're in the upper room, the Last Supper. And, uh, and so that's in 13 and 14. And then 15, 16, and 17, we're not going to cover 17 tonight, but... 15, 16, and 17, uh, it's actually when they're walking from the Last Supper to uh, the garden, okay? So we're, we're getting really close to the end, you know, the first uh, up to chapter 12. You know, it's kind of about Jesus' life and his ministry and all these miracles and all this stuff. And so it's like what Jesus is doing out in the public up to that point. And so at 13... It gets real personal because now Jesus is actually kind of, you know, having his last real talk with his disciples. I mean, a lot's going on. They're kind of aware that he's, uh, he's been talking about he's going to die and all this stuff. And, and um, there's a lot of questions in their mind about this. So Jesus, you know, at the last supper, he's talking to them and... Uh, on the road, he's talking to them on the road. What's that clicking noise? The wire? Oh, it's hit my glasses. Thanks. So, so anyway, uh, what I'm trying to get at is, is that, you know, when we, I know typically when we go, we, we read a chapter and then we come back another week and we read another chapter, come back another week and we read another chapter. We sort of, uh, there's a potential to lose the context of what's actually going on. And what's really going on is something very personal between Jesus and his disciples because they got all these questions and, you know, he's getting ready to go to the cross and be crucified and, you know, and uh, be buried and resurrected and then, bam, he's out of here, right? And so this is kind of the last little hoorah with his disciples. And so he's having a personal conversation with them. So... um so I guess question one in your sheet there is who is speaking who is Jesus speaking to in John thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen? His disciples, yeah. I'm Captain Obvious on most of these questions here. Don't try to read anything really deep into them. But the second question that is in there, and you don't have to shout this out, but you, I want you to write in there yes or no. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And actually, that has big implications. Because if Jesus is talking to his disciples, you know, in the upper room, and he's at the Last Supper, he's talking to them on the way to the garden. 
so is Jesus talking to you? I think so. Okay? So I just want you to think of it like that. Maybe even as we're, you know, reading through this, you can imagine they're walking on the road. They're going to the garden and the stuff that we're going to study tonight. So uh, what I want to do, though, since chapter 16 is primarily about uh, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in the preceding chapters, so I know everybody remembers everything that you talked about two weeks ago, but uh, just humor me, and we're going to review back to some of that. So in the in uh, verse chapter 14, starting at verse 15, Okay, so John 14, uh, if you want, if you got a Bible and uh, you can put your finger in John 14 because we're going to be there just for a little while. And so it says in starting at verse 15, it says, uh, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you. How long? Forever. Okay. So I'm just going to go back because I'm going to go back. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Okay, and that word advocate there depends on uh, what translation of the Bible. Uh, They use different words. Some of them will use the word helper. Uh, Other ones will use uh, uh, the word uh, comforter. And some of them will use actually a word called paraclete. We'll talk about that in a second. But so whenever you got these translations and there's three completely different words that's translating out to the same thing, you got to kind of wonder they had they were struggling with how do we actually, uh, you know, present this word here, right? And so uh, the NIV they chose uh, advocate, um, uh, and uh, actually uh, the word it, if you transliterate it is paraclete from a Greek word. But uh, the first of it, paraclete, is like para, where we get our parallel lines. I think we've talked about this at other home fellowships before, but when you're driving down the freeway and the lane right next to you is, I mean, it's right there. And wherever your lane goes, that lane goes too, right? So they run parallel to each other. So para really just means uh, alongside, okay? So basically... Uh, what Jesus is saying, he's going to give us an advocate or uh, uh, or a helper or a comforter, however you want to think of it, that's going to be uh, right alongside you all the time. So, so you've got this comforter is right there. Okay, um, it's interesting because I looked up uh, comforter, which the the Old King James Bible. Uh, calls it the comforter, comforter. and you know how words kind of change their meaning over time. Can you think of a word like 20 years ago it meant one thing and now it means something else? Okay, gay, I thought people would bring that up. Any other words you can think that have changed over time? Cool, (laughs) yeah. Uh, So, yeah, so there's words change their meaning over time, and that's with this comforter. In In the King James Bible, what comforter met in those days contrary to what we think when we think comforter we think oh come here let me help you out you know it's a very uh, it's like i think of my wife you know comforting the kids that sort of thing and that's what we normally think is comforter but in back in 1611 actually it goes back before that to the 1400s uh, where uh, wycliffe was translating the bible he used this word 
But in those days, comforter meant that uh, uh, their disciples would be filled with strength and courage. Okay, so, you know, we read it as a comforter, we think one thing, but when they wrote it, they meant something completely different. And so there's this idea of, you know, a helper or the advocate. You know, we know that as in a legal sense, you got an advocate that's going to come and help you. So what he's doing is he's describing uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, But I want to go back before that, and he says, and he will give you another advocate, okay? This word another is kind of a unique word. Uh, If you're old like me, you remember... In the in the late 80s, there was this car called the Yugo. Does anybody, anybody remember the Yugo? The Yugo was just, pardon me for any, if there's any Yugo uh, drivers in the world right now, but it was horrible. It was the worst car you could ever get. It was very, very cheap, but the tires would, wheels would just fall off this thing. And so if you was to go on to a used car lot to, you know, and you had bought in a Yugo, and your Yugo is giving you all kinds of problems. You take your Yugo back, and you say, I want another car, okay? So obviously you're not saying, I want another just like this one. No, I want, I want another car. Give me a Chevy or a Toyota or something, right? So there's two different kinds of anothers, really. There's another of the same kind and another of a different kind. So Jesus is saying, here, I will give you another another just like me. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit now, right? He's going to give you another just like me. So the Spirit's going to come, and he's going to be exactly like me. So here they use the word advocate. He says to help you and be with you forever. And then he says in 17, the Spirit of truth. It says the world cannot accept him because he neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, okay? So here again, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling his disciples, okay, he lives with you, and what will be in you? So he's talking about in the future, okay? So did if you answered yes, you're a disciple, right? And it's in the future. So I guess the question number three is, if you are a disciple of Jesus, where is the Holy Spirit? In me, okay? It's a personal thing. The Holy Spirit is in me. And this is actually a change. So you can write that in that blank. Where is the Holy Spirit? In me, okay? It's a personal thing. And this is a change from the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit kind of came and went. And we know this from Psalm 51, uh, 5110, you don't have to go there, I just read it. It says, uh, David saying, uh, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This make a good worship song. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So, so basically David's saying, don't take your spirit from me. And if you read the verse, it kind of describes what the Holy Spirit is doing now. He says, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So, so this is a new thing. In the New Testament, Jesus, this is a big deal. The Holy Spirit is going to live inside all of the believers. So uh, the next place I want to go to just kind of remind you of who the Holy Spirit is is John fourteen 
25 and 26, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. He says, Peace I leave with you and peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There are a whole bunch of stuff going on in those two verses. What I want to do is I want to go back to uh, 26 and read that again. It says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Okay? So, in ver- in number question number four says, What is the Holy Spirit going to do? What is he going to do? Yeah, he's going to remind us of everything that he said. Okay, we've got to kind of unpack that a little bit because Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're right there, right around him, right? And so uh, it, it's kind of amazing if you stop and think about it. This whole section in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's almost all red. If you got your Bible and it's got the red letters, that's Jesus speaking. Well, if you think about it, John's writing this like, you know, what? Quite a while after the fact, Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke were written relatively close to the resurrection where John was written, you know, later in his life. Uh, there was different heresies starting to come into the church. But so, you know, let's say, I, I don't know exactly, let's just say 40 years later. I think it was longer than that, but I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But so a considerable amount of time has passed, and, and John is writing everything that Jesus said. I mean, that's pretty heavy duty. So I would say that based on that, uh, where he says here, what he's talking about, the Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. I think you see in that playing out throughout the whole Bible there, especially where John's just repeating, uh, writing verbatim the things that Jesus said. But what does that have to do with us? Okay, because obviously none of us has been face-to-face with Jesus you hear all this. In, in some ways, we, we kind of have it better because we get to see the whole picture. I mean, we can see, you know, how the whole thing unfolds. And after a while, you kind of understand how it all works. But in the case of disciples, they're just stumbling down the dusty road here. And Jesus is talking to them. And they're like, this is all brand new to them, right? But how does that relate to us? Well, it, what it does is since Jesus doesn't speak directly to us, but we do have the word that is perfectly written. So I just want to go to, to uh, Second Second uh, Peter uh, 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture uh, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets uh, through... Uh, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, there's two questions there. Number five is, what is a prophet? What is a prophet? Uh, Most of my answers are like uh, one or two words, maybe three. So what is a prophet? One who prophesies. Very good. Very good. 
Yes. Anything else? Simple definition. Uh, a lot of times we think that it's somebody who tells the future, and that's very common, and prophets actually engage in that activity. They do tell the future. But in a biblical sense, the definition of a prophet is one who speaks for another or one who speaks for God. It's very simple. And so, uh, and then number six is how did the prophets write the scripture? How did they write it? It's underlined in my copy up here, so. Yeah, it says here, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God takes these human authors and he sets them down and they start writing and they all have different writing styles. I mean, they know that uh, Peter was barely literate, but the Holy Spirit used Peter's bad grammar and all to, you know, write the, the, the Peter books. So, uh, so it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that these things are, that the, that the Bible got written. So the only reason I do that is because you got, we're talking about the Holy Spirit tonight, right? So the Holy Spirit, he's your advocate, the paraclete. He's right there with you, right? And actually he's in you, okay? So we're learning some things about the Holy Spirit and how this, at some point maybe that'll start to sink in and go, oh, maybe this have an effect on my life. So, so uh, yeah, so the Holy Spirit is actually the agent of writing the Bible, causing the Bible to be written. We could do a whole class just on uh, how the Bible came to us. But um, So chapter 16 actually starts at the end of 15. They, they uh, I don't know what happened, but they sort of got the chapter division off by a couple of verses. And uh, it was uh, kind of interesting because when I was preparing for this, I have, uh, I'm all about technology and stuff. So I got, a, you know, I got this Bible app and I got a couple of them, but one of them will actually read the Bible to you. So I, I'm listening to the Bible. Like I was listening to 15, uh, 14, 15, and 16, uh, like just over and over and over again. I go for a walk and just listen to it over and over and over again. And so by the time I got to actually reading it in the Bible, I was kind of shocked that chapter 16 started where it did. It should start in 15 verses 26 and 27 because it's really starting to talk about the Holy Spirit again. So in 26 it says, when the advocate comes, okay, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, paraclete, when he comes, uh, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So I'm looking at verse 27, and it clearly says he's talking to disciples, so he's talking to us, right? But the second half of the sentence kind of, eh, I don't know, is he really talking to me? He says, and you also must testify, right? Not testify is like a, what a witness does, right? When it gets up in the court and they tell the whole truth, nothing not but the truth, so help them God, right? So he says, you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So does that verse apply to us today? Verse 7. It does. It does. 
So you can put yes as another good one-word answer for question seven. And where we go to get that is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, the stuff we're talking about is uh, what I call classic Christianity. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says to uh, his disciples there, he's, he's getting ready to kind of beam up, and he says, but you will receive power from the Holy when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's pretty clear there that what he's talking about. And then Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, uh, so I've got this. I think there's some questions under, or underneath it. So you're actually, what I was expecting you to do is, in, in that answer, say yes, and then Acts 1.8. And then the second one is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right in there. And that's really called the Great Commission. And it's basically the same thing that he said uh, in Acts chapter 1. And Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So there's a couple of things in there. One I want to talk about is kind of like a word nerd kind of a thing. But uh, the word the, right? The word the, you guys with that? T-H-E. Go back to your uh, eighth grade English. It's the definite article. I like the, the big words like the and for, okay? Right? But anyway, we'll talk about for in a little bit. It says, but it, and it says here, it says, baptizing name in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So whenever you put that the or the in there, it's called a definite article. Like it, there, uh, if I can say this guy over here, like uh, like I can say uh, uh, Steve is a man, okay? Yeah, but then I could say, uh, uh, what could I say? I could say, but Bill is the man, okay? The difference, you get it? Where you say a man, it's like, oh, there's a bunch of men out there, but the man, there's, okay, this is one. There's nothing else like it. It's the definite article. Okay, so that's what he's saying here. So that way you can look at it. You can say the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. you got three separate persons, so you got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of wrapping the Trinity up into the thing that confuses everybody the most, you know, three gods in one, okay? So... Um, yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about the Great Commission is he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So who is he talking to here? Who is Jesus talking to? His disciples, right? So uh, like, when you're, like uh, when you're talking to a whole group of people, he says, you know, all authority has been given to me. Uh, therefore, you know, go, go and make disciples, right? I mean, it's implied what he's saying is what? He's saying, you. <laughs> you. All right? Yeah. 
It's kind of convicting when you think about it like that. But that's what's implied because he's, you know he's talking to, he's talking to disciples. So he's telling his disciples, you go and make disciples, right? Baptizing, teaching them, all that stuff. So, um, so I'll leave that alone. So we're at John chapter 16 finally. We're going to get out here early. So he says, in verse 1, he says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. So I know we kind of got off the beaten track here a little bit. If you remember back in uh, verse 15, uh, Jesus is referring to stuff, some stuff that he talked about in verse 15, where he's saying, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. So whenever I get to that stuff like that, what was he talking about, right? So if you go back to uh, chapter 15, there's a whole section on there where he's talking about, hey, guys, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And so he goes through this whole thing saying, you know, things aren't going to be nice. Here again, remember where they're at. They're on the road, they're walking to the garden where, you know, eventually I think Peter whacks off a guy's ear, does all that stuff. But he's kind of telling them, hey, this is how it's going to be. So you're on the road with him, right? They're kicking up the dust. You're getting dust in between your toes and your sandals and stuff. And Jesus is talking to you, and, and he's saying, all this I've told you uh, so that you will not fall away. It's kind of like, hey, just be prepared. This is what's going to happen. Okay? So does, is that what I call timeless truth? Does that transfer today? I think more, if you'd asked me this question in the 50s, I would like, eh, I don't know. But now, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. I would say, no, it definitely applies. So, uh, so starting in verse 2, it says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. I mean, that wasn't long after that. What was the Apostle Paul doing? He was on fire to go kill Christians. I mean, he was like, he was getting, you know, the warrants and everything going, bringing them in, dragging them in, and persecuting them, okay? And so Jesus is telling you. So it's kind of interesting that, that Jesus say this is going to happen, and this guy Paul goes out and is kind of fulfilling this prophecy that Jesus has given right here. And then Paul turns around, <laughs> to be, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. So uh, that's the really cool thing about God and Jesus and forgiveness is that you can be rotten to the core and Jesus can come into your life and touch you. And you know what? You know, uh, what's that? If any man is in Christ, he's the new creation, right? All the old things are gone, the new has come, and that's what happened with Paul. So it's kind of interesting uh, that that would uh, uh, happen. I mean, that's just, that's just God. Okay, verse 3. Uh, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. But none of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good 
that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the paraclete will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will, he will prove, other versions say convict, right? He will prove or convict the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? So he's talking about what's the Holy Spirit going to do? What's going to be part of his job? We know he's going to be in you, right? And so he's also going to do this. He's going to, he says, he's going to prove or convict the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So what is the definition of sin? What is it? Anything outside of God's will, that's good. Any other any other ideas? Uh, well, the, you know, uh, we've talked about this before. I think as soon as I start talking about it, you remember that it's a word that comes from King James era, right? And in King James, they were using M16s. No, they're using bows and arrows, right? So when they hit the bullseye, obviously that's a bullseye. But when they would miss the mark, that was called a sin. And so that's the word that they chose to represent this uh, uh, this uh, idea of sin that it actually means to miss the mark. And we know in Romans it talks about all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've got this thing, all have missed the mark. Like here we are and here's God because he's perfect and he's righteous and all that stuff and we're not. Okay, so sin just means that we missed the mark and actually there's no hope for us. We're never going to make the mark. Okay, not on our own. So... What's the definition of righteous? Living by the word of God. That's good. Any other ideas? One who hits the mark. Hey, you know, that's really, that's pretty good. Uh, The easy way to remember righteous is to be always right. Okay? Righteous is always right. Huh? Oh, yeah. Wives are always right. I'll agree with that. <laughs> I'll agree with that. Happy wife, happy life. Uh, yeah, so no. Righteousness, always right. Okay? Very simple. It's the easy way to remember because, you know, God is righteous. God is always right. Am I always right? No, I'm not righteous. Okay? So easy way to remember it. Um, and so... He goes on to the next issue. Remember, let's go back and read 8 again. He says, when he comes, he will prove or convict the world uh, to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. Okay? About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Okay? So in 11, I put the Holy Spirit is, and my answer is, uh, the agent of salvation. Uh, Because if you think of all that's wrapped up in this, 
everything about salvation is wrapped up in what he's talking about here. He says about sin because people do not believe in me, like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Okay, God, so uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us that, you know, that we've fallen short of God's glory. And really, the righteousness of Jesus, he's always right. He's God, right? So that's the second thing here, because Jesus is gone. And so we've got the scriptures to remind us that he's the only righteous one. Remember, he said there's only good only one that's called good and that's God. And so then, and then about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So basically, uh, the whole judgment thing is tied up into, uh, salvation, right? In other words, either, uh, you know, Abraham believed God and God accounted to him as righteousness, right? Okay. So God's going to judge us, right? Satan is already judged. What does he call him? The, the prince of this world. Satan is already judged. When, when Jesus went to the cross, paid the penalty for all the sins, he's, he's already judged. And so in our hearts, we know that we, we can't be righteous before God. Okay, We know that we're sinners. We've missed the mark. And, and Jesus is the example. And the fact that the devil has already been judged. And then based on... Our acts, we're judged on the same thing, right? It, so, but if we believe that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and then God sees us as righteous, okay? So, it's kind of the gospel wrapped up. So, he's the agent that basically, you know, people sit in church for years, and then one day, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, you're a sinner, you need God, right? And then it just happens. And so uh, that's just the way it works. So the Holy Spirit, agent of salvation, where are we at, 12? He says, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you uh, what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me, and he'll receive, uh, he will receive what he will make known to you. And then 15, uh, he kind of sums all it up, actually, in this next sentence. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me, and he will make it known to you. And so what this is kind of revealing to us now is, you know, we got this whole Trinity thing going on, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is basically saying that, you know, that the Spirit's going to come, and the Spirit's going to reveal me to you, okay? So when you sit down and you read the Bible and the Spirit of God is inside you, you're going to see things about Jesus that you wouldn't see before you're a believer. It's maybe kind of nonsense even at, at some point. Uh, foolishness, uh, I think Paul's called it. So what's happening here is Jesus said, the Spirit is going to reveal uh, me to you, all right? And so then the second part is, and it's in John uh, 14, where Jesus 
reveals the Father to us. So you got the Holy Spirit that reveals Jesus, and then Jesus reveals the Father, so we have an understanding of who God is. And in 14.9, John 14.9, uh, uh, Philip was asking him some stuff and about show us the Father. And so Jesus answered, and he says, uh, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Okay. So you've got these three persons of the Trinity uh, working together where, you know, the disciples had Jesus in front of them. And, uh, you know, obviously Jesus isn't here in front of us, but the Holy Spirit is inside of us that can reveal uh, Jesus to us. And then Jesus reveals the Father. So they... So it's the inner workings of the Trinity. Okay, the disciples' grief will turn to joy. That's what I think my Bible had a heading. It says, verse 16, it says, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, you can imagine they're walking down the road, right? And Jesus puts this out, and there's some guys that are kind of lagging behind. They caught into it, and you know, if you're thinking, like, we understand what that means because we know the end of the story, right? We know the rest of the story here. But they don't know it. They're walking down the road. And so if you think about it in that context, Jesus went on to say in a little while, starting at 16 again, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean saying in a little while you will see me? No more, and then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean, a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, Jesus saw uh, that they wanted to ask him about this. So they said to him, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, <laughs> you will see me no more, and then, after a little while, you will see me. It's kind of funny to me because we know what he's talking about here, right? But he's and they, they, the scripture repeats the same thing over and over again. But uh, it's kind of interesting that that's kind of the way we all work, really. Very few of us ever get it on the first try. You know what I'm saying? We just don't get it. And so Jesus is repeating back to them, okay, is this, he's being communicating, making sure that that they know that he knows exactly what it is they're thinking, right? And so <clears throat> he says, very truly, uh, I tell you, uh, where is it? Let me see. He says, very, very truly, I tell you, uh, I'm having time. Uh, we will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then he uses, um, he uses a woman. Uh, giving birth, um, uh, and, and this is so true. You know, it's just like he kind of does a little word picture. He says, that "A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come." I think he's talking about that the misery zone about, uh, about one month prior to delivery, which is like uh, pure agony. Like, let's get this over with, and uh, you know, right up into the point of. Uh, you know, where you're in labor. I've heard that there are 
some women in labor that said that they were going to leave. I've heard that said. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was you, wasn't it? <laughs> it was pretty funny. The doctor kind of looked at me and kind of looked at her and says, I don't think we can do this without you. Uh, but anyway, you get the idea. It's extreme pain, okay? Extreme pain. Worse than a root canal for sure. He says, but it says here, but when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child was born into the world. And isn't that the truth, you know? After the, you know, the horrific event is over, it's like it's all calm and mom's there with the baby and it's all, it's so nice, you know? It's just joy, joy and everybody's there. It's an awesome thing. So he paints this really good picture of telling the disciples, hey, you're going through all this right now because, you know, I'm going to be gone, I'm be gone, but hey, when I come back, it's going to be nice. It's going to be nice, right? He says here then, he says, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Okay. All right, verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. What day is Jesus talking about? In that day. In close. uh, In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Okay. That day is the day that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, okay? So in, for the disciples, it was, you know, Jesus ascended in heaven, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit become resident on the earth, and believers were uh, basically uh, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, at that point, he's saying, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. So let's go to the next verse. He says here, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in your name. I like this one. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, actually, it should say, ask, keep on asking, and you receive, and your joy will be complete. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean literally anything? Anything? I mean, you guys have probably talked about this. Uh, will, will. Yeah, everything that's in his will. And, and, and so, you know, the Bible's not going to contradict itself. But in First John 5, I think, I, did I write that? First John 5, 14 and 15, did I write that on your outline? Huh? Well, after, after question number 14... You know, I think I, I think I started running out of time on the questions. Whatever, that's my secret. Uh, he says here, and First John, he kind of clarifies how it works. He says, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So I'm going to word nerd this a little bit for you here on this. This idea of according to, all right? According to, it's 
Yeah, this is, uh, I don't think we have anything like it in uh, the English language, but according to, in the Greek language, is, uh, it's a logical term. I program computers, so this is, I really get into this, right? But according to means it's logically down from whatever he just said. It's, it's only like, it's almost like, uh, uh, if we uh, ask anything that's, you know, logically from his will, okay, he says uh, he hears us. In other words, it's like if you're asking something in, that's within God's will, and then he's saying, duh, it's a no-brainer. It's going to happen, okay? I don't know how to, I don't even know how to verbalize it, but it's not a, it's like, you know, according to so-and-so, you know, that can mean anything. But in here, when it says according to, it's like, no, this is for real. It's logically going to happen. Okay, so it's a different uh, way of dealing with things in language than we do. So he says <clears throat> in verse 25, though I've been speaking uh, figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the father. So I want to go back to this. I'm going to go back. It says here, I'm going to read 27. Okay, so uh, I'm going to use, I'm going to pick on my wife, so it's easy. Verse 27, and you can do this, but, but what I'm doing is you can personalize the verses. We've talked about this before. I think people forget. But remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. So when he says you, that really means me, right? Okay, so it says, No, the Father himself loves Jane because uh, you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and go back to the Father. So, oh, I, I missed something. It says, No, the Father uh, loves Jane because Jane uh, has loved me. Okay, or I can do it myself. No, the Father uh, loves me or the Father uh, the Father himself loves Tom because uh, Tom has loved me. See what I'm saying? So you can take those personal pronouns and pull those out and put your name in there. because, Or you can just use the word me. Okay? Because that's who he's talking to. Okay? See, he, he's walking down the road and he's saying this stuff. And he says the Father loves you. He's got eye contact with everybody. And he's talking to him. And this is a personal conversation going on here, okay? It's not, I mean, it is John 16, verse uh, 23. But it's more than John, verse 16, 23, right? It's the creator of the universe talking directly to you, okay? So, and that's the way you got to think about it, Okay? You got to think about it like that. Okay? God is talking to you. All right? So in verse 29, 
he says, then, then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and, you, and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. I don't think they knew what they're talking about when they said that, but it reads good. That's probably what I would say. So in verse uh, 31, Jesus says, we're almost done. Good. He says, do you now believe, Jesus replied? The time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered. You think about where they're at. They're on the road to the Garden of Gethsemane. The guys are going to come in, they're going to grab him, and they're going to take him off. And what are his disciples? They're all going to run, right? Peter's going to deny Jesus. I mean, we're, I mean, this thing is like a fast-moving freight train. If you really think about it, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, next week, you can't miss next week. You've got to invite friends next week because Jesus is going to pray for you, okay? He does in the next chapter. So bring a friend. But it says here, a time is coming, in fact, has come. Well, they're, they're, they're getting ready to walk into the garden here, okay? And he says, you will be scattered each to your own home. This, you will leave me all alone. Okay, and that's exactly what happened. You know, Peter denies him the whole thing. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things. Okay, so now he's going to kind of, he's getting ready to move on to something different. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. All right? Now this is timeless truth. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, so let's read it again. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's real easy to forget that, especially, oh gosh, if you watch the evening news or um, or you go on the Internet or you get some sort of a news feed from Google or something, and you go there and you read that, it's like, oh, unbelievable. So uh, it... It really made me think, because like I'm in the middle you know, of all the stuff that you guys are doing, same thing. And I'm looking at the stuff coming into my phone, or I'm seeing the stuff on the news, and uh, it's really... And then I read this. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So, and like well, a lot of times I'll do, because I'm not real smart, I'll just read that sort of thing over and over and over again. And uh, it becomes more real when you do that. The Spirit of God talks to you. So that's the end of chapter 16. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And uh, Holy Spirit, uh, we just thank you that uh, you live inside us. And uh, Lord, you reveal Jesus to us. And uh, Lord, that uh, you have things for us to do that we could be in communion with you. And uh, Father, we just thank you for your grand plan for all of us. And I just pray that as we go out this week that uh, we would remember this stuff and uh, live our lives for you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.